Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, a.k.a. the Red Shirt King, and welcome to another very special edition of the Rough Drafts Podcast, where the only thing rougher than our pick-and-ban phase is our timeliness when it comes to tournament recap podcasts. I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Walter Fedchuk. Walter, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. I mean, we're only, we're only like, what? We're recording this two days after it happened? Yeah, which means That's the, not terrible. the podcast comes out three days after people have watched all the games. You know what we've done? We've let you guys, you know, it's the holiday season. People are busy. They go Christmas shopping. You need to, you need to catch up on VODs for these kinds of things. We're, we're we, giving them the best Christmas present they could get. We're going to give them a podcast right before Christmas. Like, come on. That, there you go, everyone. We're, we obviously care about you a lot. Merry Christmas. And not only that, it's free. It's a gift. It really is. Um, it is. It's a gift. And we're going we're gonna to spend it trying to make it the best podcast we can for you guys. We're going to start by talking <laughs> about IEM Cologne as an event, as a whole. And then we're going to get into each of the teams that were at this tournament. Walter, overall, what did you think of this event? Like, compared, especially compared to, like, IEM San Jose, where do you, where do you put this right now? Well, I'm going to compare it to the other event that was going on that we did work on, which was WCA, which literally was the worst event ever. But... In, in all honesty, like for an IAM, this was really good. They, this was like really well done. Even though it wasn't in like a huge arena or anything, it was just like in the ESL studios in Cologne. It was it was a really one well run event. Not a lot of technical malfunctions or anything. It was a standard IEM event where there was a lot of kind of downtime in between games and in between the pick ban phase and the actual game start itself. Uh, I liked that they used the desk to do the picks and bans and really use the, uh, the the pros, quote unquote, that they had to break down those events. But I felt like the desk itself, uh, Dexter and Yamato really drowned out whoever the third person was on the desk, whatever caster mm-hmm. was sitting there. Like, I think the fir- the very first series, the, the Dignitas and Kwagu uh, series, that I didn't hear Pyra say anything during the pick and ban phase. I was like, oh, okay, like, why is he at the desk line if it's just going to be Yamato and Dexter talking over each other? That was one really, like, kind of weird thing for yeah. me. And and for the record, like, I think Dexter and Yamato Cannon did a really good job. Like, I liked the insight they brought. You know, the points they made were solid. I think Yamato oh, Cannon's I, really grown in game knowledge. I don't know. I thought he was he was much more on I, point. I hate Dexter. I really wish, I really hope Dexter stops going on desks because mm-hmm. I really do not like listening to his explanations. I feel like I don't feel like he was very well prepared for this event. He, he wasn't, he wasn't. It just didn't feel like he had a lot of knowledge of how the current meta runs, which is probably because it's the offseason and he might not, you know, he might not have had a team and he might not have really cared all that much. Like, I just, I hate seeing someone like him on the desk where it's very clear that he's not up to snuff on his knowledge. Like, Pyra has not done anything with the game for what, three, four, five months? Mm-hmm. But he kind of at least understood the current meta and understood what priorities were. Um, I disagree with some of Dexter's in, like input on jungle matchups, and he's like huge on the Nidalee train. Like he loves Nidalee, and uh, there was a, a a post that was talking to Eve uh, Veteran, the HTK analyst, that he was like. I think Nidalee is a trash champion, and I completely agree with him. I don't see why there's any place for her in competitive play right now. I get that it's about this like early game aggressive jungling style, but she doesn't transition into a tank or into anything useful like Elise in or Elise does. Like Elise, Elise in, and Elise, they have one CC. 
They hit their kick and they can change a team fight. They hit their, you know, their cocoon. They can change a team fight. Literally, Nidalee's as fed as she can get in the early game. If she can't just instantly delete someone in that first team fight, she's a worthless champion. It's why things like Kha'Zix aren't being played. It's why things like Rengar aren't really being played. Like it's why all like, jungle Diana, like all those kind of assassiny junglers, aren't being played because they don't give the utility into it. Yamato has gotten better on the desk. I still wish they'd use someone else. But he's a pretty face, whatever. But I'm really sick of seeing Dexter on the desk, just I'll, as a whole. I'll say this: I I do disagree with. I think that Yamada kind of did a, did a very good job on this particular desk. It really did feel like he's been keeping up with everything. He had a very good handle on where the meta was, and I think he added a lot more depth to a lot of the points that he's been making. He's figuring it out. He hasn't quite figured out the balance, as you kind of mentioned of bouncing off of each other. Sometimes he would mm-hmm. over talk people and you know talk over people. And that's something that he desperately needs to fix. But I think that's a very fixable problem. Uh, Dexter, I really just feel like his prep work didn't come to fruition. He expected a lot more uh, you know, a lot more Elise and a lot less Nidalee. And for the record, I entirely agree with you on Nidalee. When you could have a Nidalee that's six nothing at the fifteen minute mark and then does nothing for the rest of the game, you've got a crappy champion that's just how that works you know that we we saw so many games where in italy would get fed early and it just didn't matter and that's a problem the meta for this tournament which i think is where we should go next like i thought this tournament was one of the more fun international tournaments we've seen because so much was up in the air and the games were pretty fast paced i thought it was you know just from a quality of game standpoint uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. Where do you land on just the quality of the games that we got to watch today? And oh, uh, this was way better than San Jose. Hmm. Way better than San Jose. And uh, but there's no excuse. Like most of these teams had roster changes, just like at IEM San Jose. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what it's about Cologne. I was at IEM San Jose live last year, and other than the really funky like unicorns of love, like jungle twisted fate, like that stuff, the the games were pretty shoddy. And I remember IEM Cologne last year being, like, really good games. I don't know what it's about, what it is about IEM being in, like, Cologne and Katowice, where the game, like, the level of the games just are elevated. But I feel like anytime they're outside of those two, like, arenas, their games are very, like, hit or miss, very spotty. You have some really, really good games, you have some really, really bad games, but, like, every single game in Cologne and Katowice is always bang on awesome to watch. Yeah. Like, and even it- the Dignitas series, which... Let I guess let's start with Dignitas then, since they were the first team eliminated. Yeah, let's let's start getting into these things. I I have to say, you know, this is a team. You know, we both had them ranked sixth in our power rankings. Um, I think that was correct at the end of the day. But there were some positives to to come out of this series, especially Kire, who just had a monster game one. What are you seeing from this team that excites you going forward? So Kire, like Kire, in and of himself played exceptionally well but some of it to me felt like it was Kwagu um kind of messing up and letting him sort of get ahead uh he played Rek'Sai twice which wasn't a really great champion he played at least in the very first game besides that I think he has really kind of funky jungle pathing I think he's really smart he's extremely gank and aggressive and aggression heavy so I'm wondering how he will play on like tankier farming junglers like a, a Dr. Mundo. Mm. I'm not sure how well that'll fit into his wheelhouse. I expect to see like a lot of 
uh, Elise, a lot of Lee Sin, a lot of Nidalee from this player in particular going into the LCS, as long as there isn't like some major swing in meta in the next two weeks. Um, so I thought he played he played really well. Smitty J was extremely lackluster for me. I didn't mm-hmm. think he was very good. I thought he made a lot of mistakes, uh, a lot of like very obvious mistakes, especially like in game one where he's ahead. He's supposed to be ahead of the Hecarim, and then like at one point the Hecarim one v ones him when Fiora had like a level and a half lead on him. Fiora was level seven, Hecarim was level six. After you know, Kyrie spent so much time getting him ahead of the the Hecarim, and then Hecarim kills him once, and it's like, oh well, now this lane is back even, and it's a skill matchup again. Shifter 1v1 someone as Oriana. That happened. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, we'll talk more about Chagu in a bit, but this was a series in which you could just tell, like, Doinbee needed some time to warm up. I think that Doinbee had some issues throughout this tournament, to say the least, and, you know, Shifter was consistent. Shifter was, well, you know, Shifter, <laughs> Shifter Apollo, was Shifter. <laughs> they were exactly what we thought Shifter and Apollo were going to be. Did they lose the game for their team? No. Were they consistently behind a little bit in CS and, you know, not really being the carries that you would hope they would be? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that was that was kind of a problem. This is the thing that's going to make Dignitas interesting. It almost reminds me of, you know, Gravity when Move was at his peak. Except they so don't like have an weeks. here. Yeah, like those four weeks where like look, they've got a really aggressive jungler who can get the mid laner going. You've got a top laner who's raw, but you can make it work most of the time. That's something that I think their synergy is certainly going to grow. I think Smitty J has certainly has room for improvement, but I think he can get there. Uh, and I did like uh, the way the Broken Shard and Inner Flame had them ready for this tournament. I thought Game One showed a really good understanding of. How Raz. this new meta is, and, and Raz, Raz, and, and all you know, everyone involved in Dignitas, I think, is, did a pretty good job here of getting them ready for this. My one concern, though, is that they don't have an Alltech as that second carry guy, which means more of the weight is going to revolve around Kiwi Kid when he gets back and getting those hard engages and making the right shot calls so that they could pull these fights off. Because Jez is. He he was okay. I'm 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 not gonna criticize Jezus because he is a stand-in that yeah he 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 did pretty well and even before I think we mentioned it on the the preview show Broken Chard said that Jezus had been trying out as a support for teams anyways. Mm-hmm. I he did he did okay in game one he did pretty good. Um, it just makes me wonder if Kiwi Kid had been here because that's that's what I feel like they really missed was a very consistent, like, hard-engage, intelligent... Not intelligent, just hard-engage, knowing, like, knowing when to engage. Mm-hmm. But as a whole, this team does miss a superstar. I And Kare could become that, but if, that's, if your superstar is going to be a jungler, you better pray that the Assassin meta comes back. Right. Like, you better pray Rengar and Kha'Zix come back in our meta. Because if not, you know, you can play Nidalee all you want, but at some point, you know, the champion falls off. At some point, Leeson and Elise fall off, and you just become a CC bot, a CC and Ward bot. So yeah. they, if that's really, like, the angle they're going at, they better really hope and pray that Cosmix and Rengar come back into meta and they can play Assassins. Well, and, and that's the thing, right, is that, you know, I, I think Kira has, you know, we, we need to see what he can do 
yeah. on one of these more tankier metas. And we need to see if Kiwi Kid can kind of help with some of the shot calling. I think the other thing that we really, you know, it's worth touching on, uh, Dignitas. Game one handled Baron just fine. Game two just that. tunneled in so hard. And it's just, you need someone who is able to make those calls and make intelligent calls and not tunnel in on objectives. They had such a big lead. You know, there was like 8,000 gold at yeah. one point. You, you can't lose that game. Nope. You know, that, that's the one thing you could not do, and they did it. And even after the first two times where they tried it and it clearly wasn't going well, they tried it one more time, and it just didn't work out for them. And, and that's a growing pain, and I think that's something that, again, gets better when we have Kiwi Kid. But it's certainly something to look out for. I, I will say I'm, I'm optimistic for this team, more optimistic for the uh, NALCS than I was before this tournament. Just oh, because- okay, fair enough. I, I just, does, does it have something to do with Rick Fox buying a team? <laughs> I'm very excited about whatever that team ends up being, just because Echo Fox is kind of like a really bad uh, Metal Gear Solid villain. Like I just feel like he's <laughs> it just really just sounds like the kind of guy who, you know, Snake would fight as a mini boss before he goes very on to true. one of the bigger guys. Very true. Um But honestly, I just I like the way these support staff guys had him prepared. This yeah. team didn't show, you know, game two was a bad idea, but I don't think it was nerves. I just think they thought, if we get Baron, we win the game, which yeah. is true, but they had other ways of winning the game, and they didn't... This this was a running theme, I think, for a couple teams, that, and we'll talk yeah. about this a little bit later, but there was... You know, there were teams that did a very good job of understanding their own win condition, mm-hmm. but failed to take into account the enemy team's win condition. Yeah. And you need to keep both of those variables in play, but that's something you can teach, and I like the framework that they have, the people on board. I think Raz is a great analyst. I think Broken Shard can be a very good coach. I thought the picks and bans were very solid throughout the series. So I think they can take this. You know, I can, they can take this experience that they now have on an international stage and hopefully apply it to some of these you know, North American teams who have a lot of talent on paper but don't necessarily have the – the support staff or the time together or whatever else, you know, that we will see. They really need to work with Smitty Jay. Mm-hmm. I think he had, he had on average, again, he only played three games, but he had on average the, yeah, he had 5.3 deaths in three games. Yeah. That's you really like, he, he needs to play a lot smarter and you really need to work with him. Uh, if you're going to play with five non stars, they all need to be at like the same level and they all need to be able to carry at some point. And I didn't see that. He, he, when you asked, like, before this, if you said, okay, we, you know, they have two challenger tier players, you know, that were challenger tier players last year, like, are they going to struggle? I would have said both would have struggled. Carey played awesome. Smitty J definitely struggled. No, so, of the... He needs some work. Of the six top laners, I think he was clearly the weakest. And that's and, not... And just- Balls was in this tournament. Yeah, which, let's get to Cloud9, man. <laughs> you know... It's just, it's such a great... Potato. Yeah. Potato. <laughs> I, uh... I, lo- I love that phrase, actually. Yeah, that I'm all like, in. the Reddit, Reddit boys, like, hated. I love, I love potato. I do, too. I love posturing, I'm a potato. too. I'm in. I'm, I'm in on both of these phrases, because it's... You can only use the same word so many times. Sometimes you need to just mix it up and just add something new and, and see how it works. I, it's I a like good rotation. Potato. Yeah, yeah. Do we need to? Do we really need to hear rotations a thousand more times? 
Like posturing is fine. It does this exact same thing. There you go. I told you she could be LPL Monty right there. <laughs> right there. There you go. Cloud9, unfortunately, did not benefit from any posturing. Uh, and their potato-ness did not work in their favor. Well, I mean, they had three potatoes in game one and they won. So potatoes are good. Yeah, no, it, it can certainly work out. Unfortunately, you don't always get three potatoes. And as soon as the Mundo was banned, it really felt like this team lost uh, a good understanding of what they needed to do. Uh, and, and they allowed themselves to get outplayed uh, and, and somewhat tilted, I'd say, in game three. You know, given that they spent four weeks scrimmaging before this tournament to the extent that they didn't even let High go to All-Stars because they said, no, 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 we need to be ready for IEM Cologne. Were you disappointed with what we saw from Cloud9 in this tournament? Extremely, extremely disappointed. I thought that their prioritization of Lucian on uh, Sneaky just to take it away from uh, Forgiven was really heavy handed. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was not worth it. I think Lucian is a good champion, but it hamstrings you into such an early game style composition. It, it this is a perfect tournament for balls because he just he just got to play tanks. Like that's part. That's ex- if the meta goes back to play tank top laners and occasionally rumble. Balls is set. As long as it goes away from we need our top laner to carry. They're they're totally set and balls is gonna just is gonna be fine all split and we're gonna forget about how terrible he's played the last like three months. See, you say that, but we had that in this tournament. He had Malphite once and Shen twice, and Malphite literally you just have to press R. Yeah. You had Rush on Nidalee twice, which if any champion's going to be Rush's champion, you'd think it'd be that. Mm-hmm. And they still lost. I, they they had no map control. Did, didn't you see like how often H2K was like, all right, you can go kill somebody in bot. We're going to take two towers here. Like, yeah. Literally, they had no objective control. They had no idea how to trade kills into objectives. They'd get pushed in so far where H2K would be like overextending, trying to take an inner tower. They'd kill two people and then have to spend the entire you know death timer of those two H2K, uh, H2K players pushing their waves back out. Mm-hmm. And by the time they push them back out, they can't take any objectives. Like the one really weird thing to me was that teams really didn't go after Rift Herald, which I get it's not that great an objective. But when there's nothing else on the map, at least go take that. That helps you a little bit. I think mm-hmm. Fnatic was really the only team that like prioritized Rift Herald. Teams weren't prioritizing Dragon because you're not going to play games long enough to get fifth Dragon. Fine, but it's still free stats. Yeah, and that's that's where the disappointment with Cloud9 really starts to hit, right? First of all, Jensen should be able to beat Ryu. You've put enough time and money and energy into making him this hard carry on your team. He should not be struggling this hard against Ryu. There were some lame matchups. He just should not have lost. Yeah. Uh, Lemon Nation, all you have to do now is picks and bans. This is your thing. You have the notebook. And yet you you just hammer in on this Lucian plan, and in games two and three, you really just seem to lack an understanding of what H2K was trying to do, and it, it killed you guys in, in a lot of those pick and ban phases. And, and more importantly, there was this, you know, you, you talk about a lack of objective control. High's vision control sucked. Yeah. I mean, as much as his mechanics of being a support player are fine, uh, his vision was 
terrible. And it's not like he was bad at Vision when he was a jungler. Like, it's not like Vision control is, sh- or, or should be, I guess, this whole new mm-hmm. thing for him. But they had no idea where H2K was on the map at any given time. Yeah. And that's a huge problem, you know, especially now that people don't get as many wards. You've really got to maximize your utility on them. And it just got to this point where all these things combine to the, what I think was the epitome of Cloud9 at this tournament, where Odu Omne steals the Baron with the Sunfire Cape, of all <laughs> things, which is just one of the most ridiculous sentences I've ever had to utter in a tournament setting. And from that point on, it was like the complete reverse of Game 1. You know, Game 1, H2K was just a little off. Uh, Odu Omne was going a little bit too far forward. Cloud9 yeah. was moving as a unit. And in Game 3... There were just so many ganks that just failed on Cloud9's part. You know, there was uh, yeah. the perfect example was the the flash taunt that made the the rush spear miss. Yep. It's like no matter what you've done, as soon as you've wasted that flash, you have put yourself in a losing situation, and that comes from just being tilted. That mm-hmm. comes from a team that just could not handle this kind of situation when things went wrong. And that's really worrying given that most of these guys were on this team last year. They, they put high in the support position because he's supposed to be the shot caller veteran presence that makes sure exactly this doesn't happen. Yeah. This should not have been what it was. High, I, needs, high needs to learn Thresh. I think mm. – so I'm, I'm looking at the picks and bans. Cloud9 banned Thresh and Gangplank all three games. Yeah. No matter what side. And then they did Lulu, Elise, and Lucian. He needs to learn how to play Thresh. I – I'm friends with a challenger support by the name of Trans Therapy, who I've brought up on this podcast before. And he is literally only playing Thresh. And when I asked him why, in solo queue, he's like, if Thresh is open, I'm going to play it. And I asked him, why are you only playing Thresh? And he's like, because the pro teams seem to value supports by their Thresh play. The fact that Cloud9 banned Thresh, who I don't, I get Vander is an amazing Thresh player, but I don't think it's worthy of a ban necessarily but when you have to ban when 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 you're banning thresh three games it tells me that you know your player can't play thresh and h2k knows your player can't play thresh that's a problem to me and it feels like Hyde doesn't have a support champion pool yet he played alistar and jana which are basically i'm just going to disengage i'm going to disengage i'm going to disengage i'm going to disengage we've learned that you can't just play disengage play style you can't only play engage play style. So it'll be very interesting when the LCS starts back up in a couple of weeks. What is High's champion pool? And is that what teams are going to target in pick and ban phase? Are they going to try and put him on to really like, are they just going to leave Thresh up and say, you know, Cloud9, either ban it or we're going to take it. And we're just going to take advantage of the fact that your support player isn't really a support player. Yeah. That's what I'm very worried about for this team. I still think they're probably a top four team in North America when all is said and done, especially Oof. by summertime. I think Rush needs some time to fit into this roster, but I would not be surprised if they don't get to top four or five without switching high out for Bunny. No, this this is this is Cloud9's plan. High is gonna is is going to train Rush and, and Bunny how to shot call, and then at some point this year, spring split, summer split. High will then retire again and allow Bunny Fu to, Fu to play support. Cloud9 signed Bunny to teach him how to shot call like High, and then they're going to bring him in. And it was just so nobody else could get him. Yeah, It's gamesmanship on their part. Yeah, I get it. It's, uh, 
I look forward to when that happens because honestly, highest champion pool right now, you know, and, and, and maybe this will come out a little bit harsher than I than I mean it to, but Alistar and John are like the two easiest supports to play. Jonna, you, you uh, literally Soraka hit... would like a word with you. Okay, that's but but <laughs> Soraka, you can die if you don't manage your health properly. Soraka you never die with Jonna or with uh, Alistar because you have so many get out of jail free good. buttons. That's a very good point. Um, but but we're gonna move on. This is enough uh, bashing on poor Cloud Nine. <laughs> the Cloud Nine fans right now just hate us, which is I come at me, bro. I'm a TSM fanboy. Come at me. Come but, at me. Moving on to a team that uh, I didn't have very high expectations of it seems like a lot of other analysts did which i was kind of surprised by at the end of the day but Fnatic comes into this you know this tournament with three new guys you know it's forbidden and uh and reckless really taking over on the shot calling and i don't think that was their problem but it does seem like there are some other problems plaguing this team right now their problem was they picked nidalee three games that that does seem to be a concern I mean, what, what other, other than the Nidalee pick? Like, like, well, first of all, why was that so damning for this team? And what else did you notice that also hurt them in that kind of regard? So Spirit is interesting to me in the fact that he played very greedy. Played, like, super, super greedy to the point that I believe it was game one, Gamsu had to hide in one of the top lane bushes to get experience. <laughs> Yes. Maybe happened. they didn't maybe they thought there wasn't that maybe they didn't think there was gonna be a lane swap. Fine. I'll give them that. But they had to hide Gamsu in a bush so he could get experience just so Spirit could get all of his like his farm mm-hmm. in this jungle. That comes off a little weird to me. Um during picks and ban phases, it looked like Spirit was ta- like there was a couple camera shots where there it was like uh, Fabivan and, and Spirit next to each other, and it looked like Spirit was talking, so he must speak a decent amount of English because like Fabivan would like looked at him and he said something, like kind of nodded and then said something. So it sounds like they do communicate pretty well uh, mm-hmm. as a team. I, Gamsu, I don't know about his English level, but it just it felt like. Everybody's been talking about like, oh, Spirit and Gamsu are just basically the the opposite of Raidover and Huni, and that Spirit's the carry and and Gamsu's the 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 tank, you know, kind of engaged player, which is fine. But I don't think the meta works for that. Again, like this is a team where they really need the meta to shift to like re- like Rengar assassin, Kazix assassin, like that kind of stuff, where your jungler is going to be this, you know, getting a lot of the gold from getting kills, like sort of thing. Which just feels weird to me. Like, it seems like they're trying to just capture what they did last year. But because the two pieces that they are trying to replace are mismatched, like, they're putting a square peg in a circle hole and a circle peg in a square hole. It just, mm-hmm. it doesn't quite fit or look right to me. Yeah. And, and I want to make a quick point, which is that Kelsey Moser pointed out on Twitter. Uh, after game one, that when Swift and Spirit have played against each other, whoever got the Nidalee was 19-0 until the two losses in game two and three. So that's something that's been a very much a fundamental part of their rivalry. And whoever gets the Nidalee tends to outplay the other in that regard. So, you know, there's a good chance that uh, Spirit was taking it just as much to deny it to Swift as he was for his own benefit because it's been such a dominant part of their rivalry historically. But... Here are here are some of my problems with this team 
Gamsu's teleport plays still aren't there yet. No. That's that's a problem. Uh, Reckless got caught overextending a couple times because Noxiac's vision, you know, kind of like High's, Noxiac's vision was not great. This felt like Elements Reckless to me. I, I, the constant split pushing. The constantly yeah. away from his team. I, maybe he did this on Fnatic too, but I really don't remember it because usually he had Yellow Star in his back pocket boarding. Well, and this is the problem, right? Is that Noxiac is a weak link right now. And I just dis- I disagree. I thought Noxiac played phenomenally. Really? I thought Noxiac played very, very well. Because game two, when he was forced on the Morgana because Chao Gu prioritized the support bands, mm-hmm. I mean, his Morgana did nothing that game. Uh, it was not a very magic-heavy comp on Chao Gu's part, so... Mm-hmm. The Black Shield really wasn't accomplishing much. Well, there was he really have... no CC on their, their composition. Yeah, but besides, like, it's not Rob. like he had any great bindings that turned a fight around. I, I didn't think... I was that, very underwhelmed. I, that, I think his that felt like shallow. a compositional mistake. Like, the Morgana pick felt wrong because it didn't fit in the composition. And people are going to go, Oh, but Morgana Q and an Italy Q, it's so easy. Like, anytime you see Morgana, it's paired with, like, multiple layers of CC stacking. It's paired with Elise. It's paired with... Remember the old school compositions back in like season four where, where they literally pick Morgana, Syndra, Elise. Morgana, Ari, Elise. Literally, let's get three skill shot stuns and just take it to... Rise. Like, Rise would have been so much better in that composition with an Elise. Like, mm-hmm. I, I really, really didn't understand the fascination with Italy. Like, I really didn't from Fnatic. And Misfortune. I we know Reckless can play everything. Why are we settling on a champion that is literally just a lane bully? That's all Misfortune does. She's not very good in team fights because of the like the ultimate can be easily interrupted and easily blocked because hey, they picked Misfortune, let's play Braum. And this was the other problem, right? Is is that, you know, when we talked about this at Worlds, how frustrated we were that, you know, when Fnatic needs a victory, they tend to go for this more wombo combo style, and they put Forbidden on the Oriana. Mm-hmm. Like, Forbidden is such a good hard carry. Dude. Putting him on Oriana is such a waste, and that's what they did in Game 3. They went full wombo combo, and that only works if your communication is on point. And I wasn't, again, I, I'm lower on Noxiac than you are. I don't think his trundle was anything to write home about. I don't, you know, I, I think that Forbidden's uh, Oriana ults were worse than and anything else that happened in there. I have no idea what was going on there. Gamsu on the Malphite, he once used his ultimate on a LeBlanc clone, which is just not really acceptable at this <laughs> level of play. Uh, it was rough. And They're hard to tell, though. It's hard to tell which LeBlanc is LeBlanc. It, it can be. But on the other <laughs> hand, that's why you usually don't waste an ultimate until you're sure. Like, maybe, maybe that was a little bit of a panic move, is all I'm I, saying. I have to say... So, so I have to say the same thing that I say about Bjergsen every single time, and I'm about to, I'm about to swear. So get the beep ready. Can we stop f-ing putting carry mid laners, carry all star superstar mid laners on f-ing control mages? I'm sorry, I dropped two of them, but I'm really, 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 really getting sick and tired of seeing Fabevan and Bjergsen play Lulu and Oriana. Stop it. It's silly. I don't care what the meta is. You have to put them on playmakers. You don't... You have Tom Brady as your quarterback. You don't hand the ball off 50 times unless there's literally fifth graders as their defensive line. (laughs) 
Like that is literally the only time you would ever see Tom Brady hand the ball off 50 times is if they've got like four LeBron James playing cornerback and a bunch of fifth graders playing defensive tackle. That's the only time you'd ever see him hand the ball off five times. It's not cute. It's not funny anymore. I don't care that this is what the meta is. And we need to, I'm, I'm like sick of it. Fine. Put him on LeBlanc. LeBlanc is a control mage and an assassin. He can make plays on it. I, I'm really getting sick of like the Victor Oriana Lulus on, on star carry midlaners. Those are good champions on Shifter, on Ryu. Bjergsen eats those two players in his sleep. Right. Like, let's be honest. Put him on LeBlanc. Put him on his, Put him on his ear. Put him on playmaking mechanical champions and not I'm going to alt my AD carry when he's about to die as Lulu. Click. Yeah. Click. And, and, and look, I, you know, Victor I'd even prefer over Oriana. Oriana was played twice and lost twice. It's not even particularly meta at this point. It's just – it's the default answer to we want to play conservatively. We want to be able to you know, get a good team fight there, which first of all, Delior, buddy, you're a great coach. Chao Gu's one strength is team fighting. Why are you picking a, a, you know, a composition for game three that revolves around having a perfect team fight? And second of all, why are you doing that when your team has barely played together for like a couple weeks? That's ridiculous. Like the amount of things that have to go right for what was essentially a three champion wombo combo, that takes a lot of time to build up the synergy amongst the players that they time all these things perfectly in this kind of big setting when one fight or one mistake really can hurt your entire tournament chances. You can't do it. It's just, it's a, it was a bad idea from the start. And don't even get me started on them going back in on the Baron after, it was, you know, after Chowgu starts it. Like, Chowgu has this horrible Baron start. It's like, I don't know why they went for it. You know, here comes Fnatic, gets him off of him, and the Fnatic's like, oh, but that looked like so much fun. Let's just keep going. And of that, course that, it gets that stolen. Was, and that was when they uh, they misplayed it, when, when Frost was like saying that Quagu uh, was misplaying it because Fiora could have just stayed bottom and got like one Nexus Tower. Yeah. Was that he, that fight? He yeah. Abs- yeah, it was exactly that. Like somehow with Fiora down bot, they had already stolen the Baron and very easily could have gotten an inhibitor and more Yeah, for, for nothing. And I still, for the life of me, have no idea why Fnatic went back on the Baron. And that is, you know, if I'm a Fnatic fan, my one concern here is Yellowstar never makes that call. Just, just fact. That, that doesn't happen in the Yellowstar era of Fnatic. And that's not to say that Forbidden and Reckless can't figure it out or that I'm predicting some sort of doomsday. It's, it's Fnatic as an organization. They constantly put out teams that are at the top of their competition in whatever game they get involved in. They're going to be just fine. Delior is a great coach. They've got plenty of time to learn. They did not have enough time to, uh, to, to say that this was you know, everything that this team is going to be. I, I would never go that far. So, but let's so, be clear. Yellowstar never makes that call. Just, fair just enough. to be clear. Two, two, two last points I want to make before we go on. Please. One, if I see Nidalee picked again, the first game of the LCS by Fnatic, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> I think I think Delier's going to lose it. Mm-hmm. Spirit, to me, feels like a wild stallion that needs to be broken. And from what... I don't know if you saw the... There, there was a short little clip of uh, St. Saint Vicious talking about Delier's coaching that was on Reddit like two weeks... Like a week and a half or two weeks ago. Where he's basically like, they aren't allowed to have phones or tablets in their bedrooms. There's like this really strict bedtime when they're practicing. It's literally they're only allowed to have League of Legends open. They aren't allowed to have anything else open. Like all this stuff. Like 
one or two things is going to happen with that team. He's either going to break spirit like a wild stallion, or he's going to just quit coaching. And I don't know which is more likely. I hope it's he breaks spirit and gets him in line like he did with Hooney and all that, but I don't know. Hooney wasn't necessarily, you know, bridled and trained at the end of his, his fanatic days. And the last point is, I actually have a lot of faith in what Noxiak can do. L- let me just, I just want to point this out. Kwagu was so afraid of his bard, they banned it all three games. Chagu banned bard in a lot of games, though. That was, yeah, but they also that played was a- against Key. And Key, like, literally carried Kespa Cup with bard. That's true. Uh, but I, but I this don't- is Noxiak. I, I want to see where Noxiak goes. I have a lot of, no, not a lot of faith. Um, I just can't wait to see where he goes. Like, he, he I really want to see how he develops, because I, I think mean, he can be a good support. I mean, again, anyone in Fnatic is going to have a good chance, right? Fnatic is pretty good at scouting talent. I have learned not to question them at this point. I like think the, out of the three players they added, he will end up being the best. I will, I, I will disagree on that. I think, I think if Delior gets Gamsu's teleports in order, Gamsu's going to be a monster. I, I, Amsu is the least likely of the three to work out, in my opinion. Wow. Okay. We are going to have to come back to this on yeah. the uh, the LCS preview pod because we could go on. We, we no, have absolutely. gone on way too long. Uh, we're going to go on to H two K Gaming, which I I have so many feelings about about this team. Um, uh, as I tweeted out, uh, every time I see Yankos make a play. You know, it's kind of like that proud parent that's like watched their kid go on to to go do these great things, and you're like, man, I'm I'm so happy for him. You know, that's it's it's awesome that he's doing so well. And then I look back at the Raw Cat roster, and I just get out the vodka, and I just that's just not that's just I that's not I can't do it. I just I'm not I'm not ready yet. I'm still mourning, and it's it's so bittersweet because. I got to be honest, I really liked what we saw from H2K. Where do you stand on what we saw this week? Oh, H2K looks so dirty. This team, I, I think I said it, I said it in Skype or, t- or, or text. I didn't tweet it, but I was like, man, I can't wait to see this team play week eight. Yeah. This team is going to be fire. It's, this team is going to be so good. They meshed so well. They all played within themselves, re- like within what they were capable of. Really, really well, and like the first twenty minutes of the game, when it was all like laning and solo one v one kind of stuff, it just crushed it. Mm-hmm. Like they are gonna beat up on some nerds in the LCS, and the only team I think that will give them trouble at the start is Orion, and that's because Orion has the team fighting prowess, which is where H two K fell apart. Yeah, whenever they had to start team fighting, that's when they started making mistakes. But there is no other team in the European LCS that is still cohesive like that. Other than Orion, every other team has had roster changes. Every other team is going to have these kind of same team fighting issues, including Fnatic. Like, man, H2K is basically going to curb stomp some people. I can't wait to watch them. I think Forgiven, from what I've uh, what I've read and what like veterans said in the post earlier today, was that like the problem with Forgiven has always been he needs to respect the people around him, right? And veteran says. I think he respects Prolly. I think Prolly, you know, he goes off, he's gushing about Prolly as one of the greatest, you know, one of the best minds he's ever worked with. He's super intelligent. He's really no, has great game knowledge. Awesome. That's great. And he, and veteran says, I think Prolly has convinced forgiven to respect him. Beautiful. Yeah. Let's see if they can get to week eight with him still respecting him. And 
I, I was going to say, this, that's, that's the follow-up, right? This and, is the most talented team Forgiven has ever played with. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Th- this is like Kobe getting Pau Gasol and uh, who was the third member? No, there was no big three of that. Getting like Pau, that Pau Gasol team mm-hmm. together and being like, oh boy, like let's go for five, four, five, and six. Like This is going to be awesome. That's what I can't wait for. Uh, yeah. Ryu played within himself. He didn't win his lane, but he didn't let the opposing mid laner win the lane either. He made him go even. Orowamne was the person I actually had the most problems with over like the course of the entire tournament. Yeah. I, he had I, some really like really kind of weird overextensions that I just didn't agree with. Uh it really did feel like he was just out of his element. Um, whether it was a lack of warding that he was maybe expecting. Um Yankos because he was doing so many aggressive plays early, he was a little bit later on the sight zone sometimes. Maybe he just felt a little bit too comfortable when he didn't actually have the backup. That's a communication thing. Uh, and I will say, you know, it's it's easy to look at H2K now and have all these really positive things about him. If Cloud9 doesn't throw at that second Baron in, uh, in, in Game 2, I should say, H2K is out of the tournament. It's 2-0. Like, Cloud9 had a very significant lead before that Baron. And, you know, H2K earned that victory. They then stomped in Game 3. They had a magnificent series against Ever, including a great God-given moment where he gets the delayed Pentagill. Oh, my God. And, and all of that is awesome. But you oh. can tell this is a team that's still learning to play together. Oduwane I'm is, okay with it. Yeah, no, I am too. Look, they, they've played together for two days. Like, had they lost 2-0 to Cloud9, I would not have been worried about this team. Because it would have been like, oh, well, they've only played together for two days. Oduwamne is going to learn when to oh, push up and worried. when to go back. I, I would have actually been worried. I, uh, I just feel like you have to take into account like so much of this game, you know, especially where things are now, right? This has become a game where it's much less about getting the best player to be in the best place possible and much more about making sure that you shore up any weak links that you have because teams will exploit them over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And the weak link H2K would have had, having only played for two days, is communication and team fights. And if they lost right. to a team like Cloud9 that had played together for forever and you know typically is pretty good at team fights, that wouldn't have bothered me. I would have understood that. Um, you know, that's why I think Tim, who was on our preview podcast, had Cloud9 slightly ahead of H2K. Um, but at the same time, I think. What really impressed me about this team is the fact that they did have that resilience. They did bounce back in Game 2 uh, and take that win over Cloud9. They did have that great game in Game 3. And with Ever, you know, they were behind. They could have folded in that Game 2. And instead, Forgiven just goes nuts and makes that play. And it just it's a great reminder that they have so many different guys who can carry on this team. Forgiven is awesome. Yankos was so good in the early game of these series. Uh, and Oduamne, we've seen what Oduamne can do. I think he has to learn. You know, he's so used to having like a passive jungler in, in Lulex who does nothing but war these kinds of areas. It's going to take an adjustment period, mm-hmm. but he'll be fine. Uh, I, have, I have no doubt that this team's going to be very good. And uh, as you said, Forgiven's respecting these guys now. He seems to be all in on the program. Hopefully he respects Veteran as much as he respects uh, Prawley because I think Veteran – Overall, did a very good job. Uh, I think the meme about him not seeing the the vein coming from Loken is is not particularly fair. Uh, people kind of you know were like, "Oh, but look at the solo queue things." I'm like, "Yeah, because you know there isn't any yeah, but other vein is, AD key. vein is like an eighty carry you play in solo queue to climb exactly. 
like that's, that's so kind of so point. yeah i'd look at it and go yeah you know he plays vane but uh, honestly i didn't expect to see vane at all played in this meta yeah no i it, did not expect it at all i get she's strong into like dr mundo but still that's super super risky and to do it against forgiven too which you know i have a lot of positive things to say about ever but but they got they got the early early kills. It was what two two kills on a vein, one kill. It was two. Ki- kill it was assist. two kills within the first fifteen minutes. But it was. Yeah. But more importantly, he had a CS lead over a Siver. That yeah. that doesn't happen. Not against Forgiven. Like that was yeah. that was Loken just putting on a show. Yeah. And you know, I, I think that you know, I think it says much more about ever than it does about H2K. I think that an H2K that's week eight of the LCS finds a way to get onto that vein because oh, they're easily getting better. They, they wouldn't have picked Rek'Sai. Yeah, no, there, there are things they easily could have done. Uh, and, but, and, and that's something that they will do. Uh, I, I think more than any of the other teams we're talking about as teams that we're optimistic for, I think this is the one with the highest ceiling by far. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And, uh, and it was fun to watch. Uh, other team that was fun to watch. Uh, we finally get to uh, Chowgu versus Ever in the finals, which I think it's worth talking about both these teams at once because it was such a interesting back and forth. Uh, first of all, shout out to me for believing in Ever when you guys I, wanted to put them fourth and fifth I'm on your totally power. I'm totally okay with being wrong with that. I don't care. Listen, I'd rather be wrong about a, a Korean challenger team winning an international tournament <laughs> than. Being the fool that at the end is like, well, yeah, they're only challenger. Like, why would you ever expect them to win against professional teams? Which is going to make a point that I'm going to use at the end of the show. Because I have a little bit of a rant going into the LCS. Oh, boy. I'm looking forward to this. But, uh, yes, you will. You will. You will enjoy this rant quite a bit. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think the thing to remember about Ever is that this is not the team that was a semi-pro team. Like, yes, they are technically an amateur team right now because... They don't have an LCK spot. But A, Najin's really trying to get out, so that may be fixed soon enough. And B, they've made three huge changes, two of which were Loken and Key, who were gods throughout this entire tournament. I mean, I, I don't think you can overstate how good Loken and Key played on a, on a game-to-game basis. I mean, these guys were just insane. I mean, the synergy that they had, their ability to make plays in that bot lane consistently. I mean, they got a kill straight up in a 2v2 lane, like within the five minute mark, just because they used a level two power spike and perfectly got the kill, which, I mean, that says as much about TNT, I think, as it does about, about ever, but, but still, like these guys were just on point. Athena had the rise that worked out so well. Um, you know, I, I just, I, f- I feel like this is a team that if they're not going to be a pro team, they're going to be a team that doesn't exist for much longer because four of those guys are going to get signed to a Korean organization before the season starts. Who, who out of the five is the first one signed? Oh, God. I think it's Key. I think it's Key as well. I think Key would be the very first player off he that was, roster signed. He was the MVP of the Kespa Cup. I think this was another tournament in which he played out of his mind. Who's um, the last player that would be signed? Oh, I don't think Crazy gets signed. Okay. Crazy was the one guy who really underwhelmed me. His Lissandra yes. was good. Uh, everything else I thought was mediocre. And especially in the Chowgu series. Like, this is not a... Chowgu is not a team that's known for their early game. That's mm-hmm. not their strong suit. And he just kept dying over 
and over and over again to Swift. I, I, I literally lost count of how many times I wrote Swift ganks top lane and crazy goes down on my game notes. <laughs> like you just, like it just felt like I was watching the same clip just over and over again with slightly different things. And, yes. and it was, it was little mistakes, right? It was, you know, using his, his claw in the wrong direction so that he can't escape because he, he thought he was already dead and wanted to get a little bit of damage. You know, it's like little things that he just doesn't quite mentally have it. And, right. you know, people will say like, oh, but Ares didn't really play as great mechanically either. Yeah, but he's not there to be a mechanical guy. He's he's the Korean high. He's a great shot caller. Um, you accept the fact that the, you know, individual play is not going to be quite as great because he gives you the vision and he gives you the objective calls. And those from ever were pretty much spot on throughout the entire series, um, throughout, throughout the entire tournament, I would say. Uh, I will say that obviously, you know, Chao Gu had a couple great uh, wins in that best of five. Where do you where do you leave this tournament thinking about Chao Gu? Because this was a team we both thought was going to be number one, and they certainly didn't make it look pretty, despite getting to second place here. How do you feel about them now? They did not understand this meta. Even even like the last series against Ever was just there was a lot of really like. That series against Ever was just funky in general. Mm-hmm. You had a Nautilus versus Lissandra matchup, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> you had Chao Gu play Cassiopeia twice, which they played it pretty well. You had Varus get played twice in the mid lane. Like It, it was just kind of a weird matchup, and I, I don't take a lot out of the actual pick and ban phase in terms of meta. I don't think either team really cared about the meta at this point. They were like, we're just going to play what we're good at and go from there. Uh, Kragu, I mean, they, they kept making a point, Frost kept making the point of, oh, you know, they only have one split, really, of competitive LPL experience. Cool, that's great, they get to keep on growing. Uh, TCT is definitely a liability on this team, probably, you know, he he plays pretty well, like, 45% of the time, the rest of it, he's kind of a liability, so they might try and look elsewhere for support, Uh, but it was nice to see more play. I, I remember watching him on LMQ, and it was entertaining watching him on LMQ. Maybe he can, maybe him and Vasily can go start a, a uh, LSPL team together or something, and go have some fun. Um, beyond that, I mean, it, it was interesting watching watching Swift. He's definitely a very very strong jungler. Dwayne B plays really well with him in terms of uh, being very supportive of him and uh, having his back rather than the other way around. Usually where, you know, it, it's Bjergsen and, and Svenskeren or amazing or Santora and all have to have his back type deal. So it's really interesting, uh, gameplay relationship that makes me want to go back and watch them, watch their LPL games and kind of study the interaction between the two of them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think they're a good Chinese team, but we have no clue what's been going on in China in terms of roster changes or anything. There's a post on Reddit about TBQ being in the OMG house. Whoa! Oh my god! Poor OMG. Like, uh, how far they've fallen. Even if, even if he's just this, like, it, it sounded like from the, the couple of Chinese people on, the Chinese analysts on, on Twitter, like, oh, he's there as a, he's gonna be there as a streamer. But, I don't know. I'm I I can't get excited about LPL because it's usually on at the same time as LCK, and I'd rather watch the Korean League of Legends rather than Chinese, um, just because I like the casters better. But definitely, uh, definitely want to pay more attention to this team. This they're rough. They're still rough, but 
they could, you know, a little bit of work and they could definitely be a top team in China, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and something I want to point out, which is kind of funny to think about, but, uh, but, you know, that whole point of like, oh, but they've only had one season at the LPL. Awesome. That was 44 games. That's more than anyone in Europe or North America had in the regular season if they played both the spring and summer split. I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think we could call that an experience. Well, I, I think that's, uh, I think that's a way of kind of giving them, you know, a, a little bit of an out. Um, at this here point, we go right. Has heard your criticism, and we're getting best of threes in NA next year. So <laughs> there you go. And Europe is getting best of twos because their culture believes in ties or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, losers. We uh, we talked about this on our uh, on our angry cast earlier, and. You know, I, I guess it's worth following up just just really quickly. Um, China is moving to a best of three format. Uh, this is pretty much every piece of confirmation I needed that if you have the money for it, you go best of threes. That's that's basically what all of history is telling us. Uh, it's the best of twos are going to be Taiwan and Europe. And the population of one of those, <laughs> the second and third te- the second and third regions at, at worlds. Let, let me just point that out. Well, and, and for the record, and I'm I'm working on an article now about this. You guys can look forward to this sometime, uh, probably a little bit after Christmas, because obviously the next few days got to do all that family time and everything else. But I I do feel like people miss the mark when it looks at you know best of twos versus best of threes because you know. Here, here's the thing, right? Objectively, best of threes are better because it gives us more games, which is a better sample size and is a more accurate representation of where these teams are at the end of the day. It's more stats. It's, it's more games. It's being able to, to adapt more often. It, it's just objectively better. But when people get on this whole tangent of like, oh, it's going to, you know, all these regions that are just doing best of twos are going to fall behind. Like, that's not... Whether you play a few more games is not what changes uh, mm-hmm. how good your region is. What's going to change how good your region is is the quality of teams from top to bottom. Who are you playing every week? Yeah, Are you playing the kind of teams that are pushing you forward and making you better? Because you know, there's that great quote, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Yep. I don't care if you're playing a ton of games. If the teams you're playing are crap, it doesn't matter. Um, and that's the thing that you know, if I'm a European fan, you know, I'll take a little bit of solace in knowing that, you know, the European region as a whole is pretty good. Uh, they were really good last year. The top teams are going to continue to be top teams and probably continue to push each other. And, you know, we, we, we see a couple new teams in Team Vitality and this new H2K roster that are going to be an even bigger threat to Ori, Hen, and Fnatic. And I don't think going to, you know, being stuck with best of twos in the, in the summer is going to be the difference between them being a threat at Worlds and them not being a threat at Worlds. But I wish that Riot would just be honest about about why we're doing this. Because it's not that they don't know what format's better. It's not that they don't have the evidence to make this decision. This is a purely financial decision that is based off of all the factors that we talked about last time around. And I think that we need to accept that and stop... You know, let's not focus on the whole, oh, you know, Europe understands ties and North America doesn't hurt dirt because that's that's what Riot wants us to do. Like Riot has understood how memes work. You know, you say the same phrase over and over and over again. It loses its meaning. It stops 
affecting us in the same way. In the same <coughs> Freak. Way, yeah. Well, and, and, and think about like, like Big Sorry for, for a perfect example. Like people forget the context of that whole thing was really, really dark. And now it's just kind of become a joke anytime anyone has to apologize for anything. Because you say it enough and people stop attaching that kind of meaning to it. And that's what Riot's hoping for. They're yeah. hoping that we'll be distracted by the meme and distracted by, you know, the jokes that they throw into what should be a very professional press release and just for whatever reason isn't. No, it's not patch note, guys. Like, come on. And they're hoping that that's what you cling on to. Yeah. And, and that's a shame, um, I, I think, as a general rule. Uh, you know, Chaogu is probably going to be a better team at the end of this year, but I don't think it's going to be because they're going to best of three. I think it's because they finally realized, hey, Swift actually can have an early game. Or at the very least, if we don't make terrible mistakes in the early game, we're going to keep ourselves in it. You know, Agreed. Ever is not going to be great because they do best of threes. They're going to be great because Loken and Key are incredible players. Athena's got a pretty deep champion pool, and Ares is a great shot caller. These are the things that are going to make these teams great. It's not the format. But if we built around what is the best competitive thing, what, what gives us the most information and the most accurate information on who the best teams really are, who, mm-hmm. you know, let coaches and analysts have the most opportunities to prove that they add value to their team by doing the thing that they are literally paid to do, which is make these adjustments and get these teams ready for these big time situations, whatever else. We know what the objective right answer is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are reasons that people don't do it. And, you know, best of twos, you know, as people have pointed out to me when I, when I ranted about this a little bit earlier on, on Twitter when the China news came out, like best of twos are fine. They're certainly a hell of a lot better than best of ones, which are atrocious and should never be used for anything that's supposed to be meaningful. Yeah. But let's not, let's, let's stop getting hung up on the AU is, is getting screwed over because Riot doesn't know what they're doing. Riot knows exactly what they're doing. This was an educated decision. Oh, absolutely. Very financial reasons. And they're trying to play cute and let the meme go and whatever else because people will not look deeper and think, well, why would they really not want to do this? Oh, they're, they're to- totally palpatining us, guys. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Let's, and, let's not be silly here. And I, I think there's no better time to, to end the podcast than after this inevitable Star Wars reference that well, we had to make given The Force Awakens came out. <laughs> like, that's very true. Very that, that's, true. that's the rule of podcast. So we'll, so, so we'll call it a wrap. I mean, is there anything else you want to say about – you know this tournament in general before we wrap up uh yeah so not 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 about this tournament in general other than one thing guess which player had the highest kda in the tournament Ooh. um and bonus points if you can guess close to their kda oh well that i i genuinely have no idea i am uh you know i don't remember yankos dying all that much but i'm gonna guess key i think key is the correct answer well, just so you know, Yankos, Yankos averaged three deaths a game. Okay, so uh, I, I just completely yeah. I, I blank he, out any negative he, memories of Yankos. Yeah, he, I'm a little he is outside drunk. of the top ten. He is below Curie. Or he's tied with Curie. They both have a four point two nine. Top three KDAs in third place: Loken with a six point zero nine. Okay. Second, Sneaky with six point seven five. Sample size is beautiful. What's the number sample, one? Sample, sample size is beautiful. Noxiac with a six point eight. 
He averaged 11 assists a game. 11 assists. Hold on, because I want to go. I want to tell you his total assist numbers. His his actual. Well, he uh, played three games, stats. so if he averaged 11 assists, he had 33 assists. First, first, first game was 1 1 and 22. Second game was 0 3 and 5. Third game was 0 1 and 6. He died five times, period. 0 3 and 5 and 0 1 and 6 are not things that fill me with a whole bunch of comfort. What you basically said, which was, which is kind of my point, he had one really great game that skews all the numbers. I, that's not convincing me. You're, we'll, we'll have I, to I thought break. the Trundle game was much better than you, than you did. So. And that's okay. We're allowed to disagree. Uh, the last time we disagreed, I got to be right about ever. So I'm fine with us disagreeing. Uh, yeah, so, so guess, guess what I was right about. Remember I am San Jose? Uh, TSM over LGD? Yep. Yeah, yep, I'm that, a, I'm that a, was not my brother. Wave that flag. I'm a Yankees <laughs> fan. That's what I do. I live in the past. But at least we both agreed that Mark Cuban was going to win that show match, and really, that was the greatest prediction of them all. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. True. Uh, that true. That's a podcast, folks. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, it has been a lot of fun with this year of League of Legends. There are no other major games, as far as I'm concerned, for the rest of the year. So now we get to. Uh, to wait for those last few signings, and it's going to be preview podcasts, which is ki- which is the most exciting time of the year. We're going to have power rankings. I'm sure we're going to write some sort of article to go along with the power oh, absolutely. rankings. Absolutely, it's going to be uh, an incredibly fun time. We're going to look at both North America and Europe in detail. We're going to try to have guests on from China, Korea, and the LMS, so that we get all of the power regions covered. We might even look at Brazil. Uh, you know, we have Emily Rand on standby anytime we need to talk about Brazil. And I feel like there's no reason to not do that. So we're going to have a whole bunch of preview stuff for you guys. We'll look and see if there's any. I don't think there's any big Heroes of the Storm event coming up that's really worth covering. But, uh, but we'll keep up with all that stuff with you guys. Thank you so much for uh, – in, in case this is the last podcast of the year, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure making content for you guys. You guys, it's it, we can't tell you how much it means that you guys are listening to this and have uh, and have been with us through all of our guessing the lines throughout the the year and all these recaps and everything that this has been, uh, and and we're very excited to see where this goes from here. So so thank you guys for that, uh, Walter. Where can they find you on on uh, on social media? I, I want to agree with Chase on everything. Thank you so much for uh, making this so worthwhile uh, to me. If even one person listens to the content and enjoys it, then we're doing our job and I'm extremely happy. Uh, Chase, thank you. What well, I say this quite a bit actually, but you know, thank, thank you so much for, for bringing me aboard and, and giving me a platform. And I, we've had a great almost two years here. Yeah, I know. Like man. it's been a lot. We, we started at the end of the season four world champion or at, during the season four world championship. So uh, here's to a great year with you and, and hopefully we get to do even bigger and better stuff with our, our guest Alliance podcast and, and additional content as we branch out into other esports. But uh, you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. I'll, uh, I'll be probably spending the couple of weeks here before LCS really just kind of relaxing and um, getting prepared for the, the slog, the race, the marathon, whatever you want to call it. That is the 2016 LCS series uh, season. And, uh, we'll have some fun with that. I can't wait to talk to you guys about that and, and watch TSM win a world championship. <laughs> I love the enthusiasm. Uh, I don't think I'm going to watch Rockat win a world championship, but I am going <laughs> to let you guys know uh, that you can find me on Twitter at RedShirtKing. Uh, you can find us on iTunes at uh, 
esports gambling hour. It's still under the old name. Uh, most of this is due to uh, a big announcement that will probably be coming at the beginning of next year. Uh, there are going to be a lot of very fun changes to the podcast that are coming very, very shortly. I just can't say anything about it yet, but trust me, you guys are going to love it. Uh, but Esports Gambling Hour for now on iTunes. If you subscribe, whenever we move over, you're going to be ready to go. So please do and, and leave us uh, a review if you'd like. That really helps us out quite a bit. You know, you can also find us on SoundCloud.com slash Esports Gambling Hour. If you really hate that half hour it takes to get from SoundCloud to iTunes, go ahead and get it directly there. And Unicorn.com slash Communities, where we put all these up. I do little write-ups and everything. And, uh, and I love when you guys read it, and I love interacting with you guys. Uh, I'm going to try to do one more podcast before the end of the year, but certainly this will be our last one before Christmas. So uh, Merry Christmas to all of you. Celebrate. Happy holidays to the rest. Uh, thank you guys so much for another wonderful year of esports. And until next time, goodbye, Internet.